Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. The last few weeks we've seen God's hand at work through this family that make even the most dysfunctional families look slightly better. We've seen jealousy, human trafficking as a preference to murder, which is questionable, power dynamics with Judah and Tamar, then Potiphar's wife and Joseph, prison sentences, forgottenness, emotional reconciliations and redemption. And as we come into the last chunk of verses, this family saga isn't quite over. Today we find the family reconciled, but safely through famine and living in Egypt in quite favourable circumstances. In the last section, we are picking the story up where Jacob has died and what this means for the brothers' relationships with each other and ultimately the death of Joseph. So let's pick up the text in chapter 50, verses 15 to 26, if you want to open your Bibles, and it will also be on the screen. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machiah, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, I am not a massive film buff, but there are some lines that when I hear them, I instantly recognise where they came from. And I wonder if you'll play along with me just for a minute to shout out some answers. In fact, the the films I've picked will show that I'm not a film buff. (laughs) Then there are no prizes because I'm not that organised. So we'll start with Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Houston, we have a problem. 
I'm not doing the accent for this one, but I'll be back. Uh, this, is how, this is going to aid some people. We're going to need a bigger boat. So this is, try this one. It's winter, but never Christmas. Yes. Oh, and a doorbell. That was not included. Now, I think if I had to pick a line that sums up the story of Joseph, it makes it instantly recognisable. It isn't, unfortunately, for Andrew Lloyd Webber, any dream will do. But it's found in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And it's certainly a line that packs a punch in the best sense of the phrase. As we look through the passage today and through the whole story, we can see, or I hope we can see, that Joseph had grasped hold of something that his brothers hadn't, and I think we don't always either. That whatever comes at us, God is sovereign. That it all begins and ends with God. And that he meant it for good, even when we can't see it. So with that in mind, I want to dig a little deeper this morning around a couple of things. So the first thing is forgiveness and uncertainty. Then the sovereign hand of God. And finally, the promises of God or our future hope. All small things. <laughs> As we heard from Tom last week, we saw that there had been a turnaround in the life of Judah. That sense of him being willing to sacrifice himself for Benjamin. However, with the grief of the death of Jacob hanging over them, even after 17 years of harmonious family living, the passage tells us that doubt of their standing with Joseph creeps in. In verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. Now, it might be that they thought that Joseph was willing to let bygones be bygones when Jacob was alive, but that this changing landscape was Joseph's opportunity to get back at them. Maybe Joseph had been playing the long game and waiting all this time. So they get together and make a plan, because as we know, that always turns out well, to say, and I paraphrase, I'm not sure if you've heard before he died, Joseph, but Dad told us he's commanded you to forgive us the evil we did to you. So now, please forgive us, servants of the God of your father. I think there's something in this for us, whether we've been a Christian for five minutes or for 50 years. I think we all have moments where we doubt, moments we get that uncertainty rising up in us. And we either choose to push into our standing with God or we do what the brothers do and come up with our own plan to deal with it. Now, I would hazard a guess that Joseph weeping in response to them is probably not what they had been anticipating. You see, after all the time that had passed since the original wrongdoing, they hadn't been able to fully get hold of the message that Joseph had grasped, that it all begins with God. Joseph tells them the line that we know so well. As for you, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good. I think it's important to note that Joseph doesn't deny their intention to evil here. He acknowledges that even with the passing of time, there had been a need for forgiveness. They had fully intended to harm him. And it highlights the trickiness of human relationships. But it does reiterate Joseph's genuine forgiveness. 
But I think it's also important to note the verse that precedes this. Verse 19. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? In that moment, Joseph is recognised who he is and what God has done for him. He's putting himself alongside his brothers, acknowledging his need for a saviour, his own need for forgiveness, that the salvation and the standing he now has begins and ends with God. As we saw Judah humbled and mature in the passage last week, I think we see a glimpse of the same here in Joseph. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that forgiveness is a tricky subject and that there are people far, far wiser than I am that have taught on this subject for years. I would also say that it's something that in a room full of people, most of us will have struggled with, are struggling with, or will at one point or another struggle with. Yet it's something we technically know we all should do. Indeed, when we look at the topic of prayer, we often start with the Lord's Prayer as an introduction. And I'm going to use the verses in Luke 11 that say, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Jesus' words are quite explicit. Forgive everyone who sins against you. I will be honest with you, and I couldn't stand here and not be, that there, are, there have been people that I found this to be a real challenge and a real struggle with. There are people that have hurt me in ways that I won't go into, but I've found it really difficult to forgive. And I've tried to dodge it. I've used phrases like, I don't fully understand what it is I need to forgive them for, so I'll wait until I do, and then I'll do it. And indeed, there have been people I've found myself forgiving this year that have taken me over 30 years of being a Christian to do. But I can also tell you that in doing so, in as difficult as that was, that that act of obedience has also brought a lightness and relief in my life that I didn't think was possible. Now, there are different ways of doing this. We can do it on our own, in our own quiet times with God. But I also know for me that there have been some I've had to do alongside people, people that know my story, people that I trust as an act of personal accountability before God, and then actively choose to walk in. And I won't dress it up, it's hard, but it's an act of obedience that recognises who we are in front of God, that it all begins with God and what he has done for us. One of the recurring themes that kept coming up in our small group at the recent Alpha course, and it really touched my heart and the people that were leading, is one woman in our group particularly constantly reminding us of how much we've been forgiven, therefore questioning how we can hold back our forgiveness from others. Essentially, without realising it, she was reiterating this in this verse 19. Are we in the place of God? And our sin doesn't just slip God's mind. It isn't a case of voluntary amnesia. In his mercy, he does not act according to our sin. He does not call our sins to mind. He doesn't punish us or berate us. He isn't a God or a judge that shakes his head in disappointment 
whispering shame on you. He doesn't hold it against us. God treats us like we have never sinned. I think it's also important to note that these are important words for when we start to question our own standing before God as well. When we do the same thing that we see the brothers doing here. When we start to think about, or when Satan reminds us of all the things we've done. When we get those niggles of, has God really done that for you? God might be able to forgive that person. But this one thing we've done is so terrible, it's too big that I can't possibly forgive him. The same stands. I think it can sometimes feel easier to look inwards and see our sin and not upwards to see the saviour who brought our forgiveness. It begins and ends with God, not us. We are made beautiful, reconciled through the blood of Jesus on the cross and the glorious resurrection. And the Bible speaks of this better than I ever could. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards us, those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And Hebrews 8 verse 13, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Joanna Kimbrell puts it this way. We do not serve a God whose memory is erased at the sound of human confession. Instead, we serve a God who sees the sin that hides in the darkened corners of our heart as bright as midday, yet who chooses to offer us mercy in Christ. We serve a saviour who knows us fully and still loves us deeply, even to the point of death. We have a far greater hope than a God who forgets. Our hope is a God who forgives. Now, Joseph had managed to grasp hold of this deep fundamental truth of a need for forgiveness. And therefore, he wasn't able to hold back from forgiving his brothers. The passage shows us what genuine forgiveness looks like, and it's something that challenges us to extend to other people. There may be that people come to mind as I'm speaking, and there may be people that you think you need to forgive alone with you and God, or as I've had to do, to pray with other people, or even just to start a step towards forgiving somebody. And again, I recognise that this isn't always easy. And sometimes it does just start with small steps. But I would encourage you to use the space here in church to start to do that. Before I move on, I do think it's important to reiterate something else that Tom said last week, which is that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. That reconciliation involves change from all sides. That forgiveness can be given, but reconciliation isn't an inevitable byproduct, even though we see it here. So let's move on to this small matter of God's sovereign goodness. So verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. 
Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, as I've gotten older, I've discovered that I love a good mystery book, programme or film. I'm not fussy. I think it's because often in life, we find ourselves in the middle of situations with no idea of what's going on, often struggling to see outside of the problem or situation. So I think I enjoyed the arc of a problem and more often than not, a satisfactory resolution. So one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot as we've gone through this story is that when we look at these passages, we collectively see the entirety of Joseph's story. We can see that, that God has indeed used this situation for good. He has kept not just Joseph's family alive, which eventually will lead to the line that Jesus is born into, but he's also kept many people alive. But Joseph, in his darkest moments, didn't have this luxury. He has hindsight, and he uses it well. But I don't think it would be too big a stretch to suggest that he might not have thought that for the whole time. In these verses, he doesn't imply or even suggest that God had planned what the brothers did to him. Maybe God did, but it isn't in the text, and we don't know because we don't know the mind of God. What I think the story does show us, which is more likely, is that God can take a negative human intention and turn it into something that can have a positive effect. I know that there are things in my own life and in those other Christians I know where there have been situations where people have done things or, indeed, I've done things that have been wrong, but that God has brought good out of because of his sovereign goodness. Joseph here is saying that the wrong done to him has not only brought about good for him, but something good for other people. As we get to the end of this particular story, we can see how God has turned all the ups and downs, of which there have been many, for good. In the life of Joseph, we can see God using human trafficking, slavery, anger, jealousy, as a vehicle to fulfil his purposes. These terrible, and they were really terrible actions against Joseph, have been flipped around and used for their salvation. Through Joseph being in Egypt, it wasn't just the family that had been saved, but the whole of the Hebrew nation. For the brothers, he hadn't just saved them physically either. We see them here describe themselves as servants of God. And I'm pretty sure that's not how they had lived earlier in their earlier days. They had turned into a men of faith in this process. I think it's fair to say that more often than not, we don't understand the hard things that happen to us. Or certainly this has been something that I have struggled with. And in all honesty, something that I still regularly have to take to God. And that we might not, this side of eternity, get to understand some of these things. Now, for the more astute among you, you'll see the delights of my pink plaster cast, which has been annoying, and not just because pink doesn't match my wardrobe, although that is high up there on the list. It's been on the back of a season where I had a month of being sick, then getting back to normal, and then with one thing and another, just being set back, to the point where, as Lisa asked me the other day, what now, has become a legitimate question. And I don't mind being asked it, 
And admittedly, and it is true in the grand scheme of things, they are all really small annoyances. But there have been moments where I've really struggled with them. And as I was preparing this and being challenged by thinking about God's sovereign goodness in all situations, I've found my prayer life very slowly turning because it sometimes takes me longer than it should to look up and to start to ask God, where can he use this for good for me? Or sometimes taking the opportunity just to learn to give in and to trust God's sovereign goodness in all circumstances. As Paul tells us in Romans 8, we know in all things God works for good for those who love him. Now we see the ultimate example of this at the cross. We see an innocent Jesus, the Son of God, God in human form, persecuted, wrongly accused, nailed to a cross, and God's sovereign goodness having implications for the whole universe, for you and for me. He takes the most wicked of human acts and turns it into something victorious, something utterly stunning and good. He turns it into an act of redemption between us and God. And one of my favourite quotes on the cross, and I think I've probably used it before, is that the resurrection is not the reversal of defeat, but the proclamation of victory. The king reigns from the tree. The reign of God has come among us. At the cross, we ultimately see God using the darkest of moments to declare his goodness and victory. We get the chance to see the truth that Joseph had grasped hold of and the truth still holds for us today. Forgiveness, uncertainty, God's sovereign goodness begins and ends with God. The story of Joseph and his brothers doesn't necessarily answer questions of suffering and difficulty. But it does remind us that no matter what happens, either through tough circumstances or as a result of human sin and living in a broken world, in the not yet of the kingdom of God, that there is one that is with us throughout it all, that he can and does bring good out of the darkest of situations. Finally, what does this tell us about the promises of God and our future hope? So if we go back to the text and pick it up again in verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now I love that in the very last verses about this family, there is still a lot to learn from what God has been working through. 93 years of, of Joseph's 110-year life had been spent in Egypt. And yet, he never saw it as his home. As he prepares for death, he reveals that he is still holding on to the promises given to his forefathers, that God would give them the, pro the land promised to Abraham and his descendants. He knew at this point that he, this wasn't going to be something he saw in his lifetime. 
And yet he trusted in the God of Israel that the Israelites would be brought out of Egypt, that one day they would inhabit the land that God had promised them. In his death, he was making a prophetic declaration to the Hebrews that even at this point, he was confident in the promises of God, that one day God would give them the promised land, that one day he would rest with them in Canaan, and then, and only then, would he allow them to bury them, him. The writer to the Hebrews refers to this in chapter 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when, he was end, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. In the death of Joseph, we see a glimpse that he was still the visionary. For many of us, we know that after Joseph's death, the Israelites didn't necessarily have the easiest of times. They had years of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians before their eventual exodus. It would take another 400 years before they would inhabit the land that God had promised to Abraham. And Joseph's bones throughout all that time will have served as a reminder to them that God had made a promise to them. I'm sure that Joseph's bones will have made a difference to them when they were seeing God at work through Moses, when they crossed the Red Sea and then had years in the desert, when they faced what looked like giants in Canaan. Now again, we know that eventually it would only be Caleb and Joshua from Moses' generation that would enter the Promised Land, but they still had Joseph's bones with them which ultimately must have represents at points, must have seemed like such an outlandish promise of God. But we do see the promise fulfilled. And we ultimately see Joseph's bones buried in the promised land. When we pick up Joshua chapter, four, we, uh, chapter 24, we finally see Joseph laid to rest in the end of his story. In 24 verses 32, it says, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tracts of the land that Jacob had bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. All that time later, after many trials, Joseph was buried in the land that God had promised to them. Now, what does all this talk of bones mean for us? I think firstly, we need to actively remember the promises of God. For us, it isn't the bones of Joseph, but I do think it is remembering the cross, the resurrection, and future hope that we have in Jesus. Remembering that it all begins and ends with Jesus. Communion is such an important part of this. And we know those verses, some of us will know those verses in Corinthians well that serve as an act of remembering what Christ has done for us. And the verses there say that we are to proclaim his death until he comes, which is a great act of remembrance. But I also think it means remembering that our lives should be future-focused, that we allow the promises of eternity to have an impact on the way we live in the present, that we have a great hope to look forward to, 
that just as Egypt wasn't Joseph's true home, this world is not our home. As God's children, we get to look forward to John's glorious vision and the ultimate promise of God that we see in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If all around us fails, and we are struggling to see the sovereign goodness in the situations around us, that this is a glorious promise to return to. And I know it's one that I have to go back to time and again, and not to sound like a broken record, but it's a reminder that it all begins and ends with God, which is ultimately the story of Joseph. Turning again to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, which a lot of people talk about this being the faith chapter, and if you read it, and I would encourage you to do it, it's one of my favourite chapters. But it starts by saying, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see which is what I think we see in the life of Joseph. We are people of faith. And I think sometimes when we are struggling this, when there are things that we can't seem to remember, we can't grasp hold of, we can turn to our Bibles. There are things we can do. And again, if you don't know where to start, I'd encourage you to start here in Hebrews with this chapter. Romans 8 is another one that I would always go to. Just places to go that help us hold on to the word that God promises us, and give many examples of faith in action. I think also for me, when that bubbles up and I find myself doubting what God has done, spending time in worship helps. Praising God, declaring who he is in worship, often lifts my head out of these moments. You can when I start coming back up, as I wrap up. I think there will be people here that know that there are promises that God has given them, that they have yet to see fulfilled, that are really tough to hold on to. Whatever they may be, I would encourage you back to this story of Joseph, like I've had to do, to remember that God's sovereignty shines through throughout these passages, that Joseph teaches us to hold on to the promises of God and that they ultimately will be fulfilled in his time and in his way. And I think what's really been on my heart, and it's in kind of difficult to escape from, is that I think there will be people here that, you know, we all wrestle with forgiveness at one time or another. For those of us that are in the middle of situations that we're struggling to see God in, again, be encouraged that God's sovereign goodness is unwavering, that he is there in the midst of this, that he will use it for good. And thirdly, for those that are really struggling to hold on to the promises of God, that he is trustworthy, that Joseph's story tells us that. Joseph's story, 400 years later, God's promise came through at the cross. Our redemption is made through the promises of God.